what's in a day. According to one imaginary source, it's National Bubba Day, but I'm not quite sure what all the hubbub is about. More realistically, it's American Indian Citizenship Day, which marks the 98th anniversary of an act of Congress where the people who had lived here for millennia before colonization finally received some rights, if not universal recognition. Somehow, it's also National Rocky Road Day. Coincidence? Or is everything unrelated? This episode of Charlottesville Community Engagement cannot provide you with an answer. But this, and all of the nearly 400 other installments to date, do encourage you to always be thinking. So does the host, me, Sean Tubbs. On today's program, the Virginia Supreme Court has ruled that Albemarle County was wrong to charge a developer for transit service that stops at the Hollymead Town Center. An update on one way how area transit agencies may address driver shortages. The Jefferson Area Board for Aging gets some funding due to one hospital's employee survey, and the Albemarle Planning Commission reviews a study that seeks to help the Rio Road corridor become more human scale. In today's first subscriber-supported shout-out, this Saturday in Stannardsville, Virginia's house band, The Rhodes Ducks, will take the stage at Green Commons to headline an evening of music. The event kicks off at 4 p.m. with local music from Keith Samuels, Todd Sansom, Chad Ayler, and John Coger. That's followed by singer-songwriter Jenny Marie McAdams. Then, The Road Ducks will draw upon their 46 years to perform all kinds of music. Various members of the Green Chamber of Commerce are sponsoring the event, with proceeds from beverage and drink sales going to Artistic Remedies for Creative Hearts. For more information on this latest in the Groovin in Green series, visit their Facebook page. Up. Albemarle County acted unconstitutionally when it demanded the developer of the Hollymead Town Center begin making $50,000 annual payments for a transit route operated by Jaunt. That's according to a Virginia Supreme Court opinion issued this morning by Justice S. Bernard Goodwin. While a state, under its police power, may regulate land use to further legitimate state interests, it may not use this power as a cudgel to coerce concessions from a land use applicant who seeks to repurpose her property, reads the opinion. The Board of Supervisors approved the Hollymead Town Center development in September of 2007, and under one of the proffered conditions, a company called Octagon Partners agreed to pay $50,000 a year within 30 days after demand by the county after public transportation service is provided to the project. In November of 2015, the board voted 4-1 to one to work with Jaunt to develop a commuter route called Route 29 Express to serve the area with a stop at the Coles. By that point, the property had transferred to United Land through a subsidiary known as Route 29 LLC. Developer Wendell Wood had previously sought to change the proffer, but was unsuccessful. He argued that the triggering of the proffer as presented was unreasonable, but he offered to pay a smaller amount. At the time, Rio District Supervisor Brad Sheffield was executive director of Jaunt, but he recused himself from the vote. In late 2020, Jaunt's board of directors asked him to resign, 
for financial matters not related to this lawsuit. Soon after the Route 29 Express service began May of 2016, the county sent two bills to Route 29 LLC demanding payment and issued a zoning violation in the summer of 2018. Wood refused to pay. Wood sued in January of 2019, challenging that violation, and both parties agreed to a certain set of facts. In May of that year, the county sought dismissal based on a claim that those facts admitted Wood's acceptance that he needed to pay for the transit service. Albemarle Circuit Court Judge Cheryl Higgins denied that dismissal request, and the case went to trial. During the trial, the county also sought to dismiss testimony and evidence introduced by the plaintiff to support their argument that the commuter route did not have any benefits of reducing traffic on U.S. 29. Higgins did not grant a motion to strike that evidence and then ruled in favor of Route 29 LLC. Albemarle County appealed, and now the Virginia Supreme Court has confirmed that Higgins was correct in not granting the county's request to dismiss and to strike the evidence. The court sided with Route 29 LLC about the unreasonability of the proffer. Here's a section of the ruling, page 9, and the analysis. I'll warn you, this is pretty jargony. In essence, the county contends that when a municipality conditions the grant of a land use permit on acceptance of a conditional proffer voluntarily entered into, the payment required by the proffer need not possess an essential nexus, nor be roughly proportional to the impact of the development allowed by the permit in order for the proffer to be legally enforceable. We disagree. The ruling does not dismiss the transit proffer completely. The owner acknowledges, and we agree, that a different public transportation service may trigger transit proffer payments that are enforceable at law. However, the commuter route, as it is presently designed, does not. A spokesman for Jaunt said the organization had no comment on the ruling, but did say that the North 29 Express is still operating and has led to several other commuter buses, such as one that serves Crozet. There are plenty of links to stories from back in 2015 and 2018 from Charlottesville Tomorrow. There are links in the newsletter. In April, transit officials from Vermont briefed the Regional Transit Partnership on efforts in the Green Mountain State to use public transportation to get students to their schools. That has led to further discussion on the matter in Albemarle County. Charmaine White is the new director of the Transportation Division for Albemarle Schools, and she spoke at the partnerships meeting on May 26th. So I am having conversations now uh, with my supervisor, superintendent, to look at how we would roll this out. Um, and of course, we would have to get our community ready for this and parents and the administrators, and because this is just a different approach. White said the division continues to try to recruit new drivers with a series of job fairs. One possible way to alleviate the shortage is to purchase vehicles that don't require a commercial driver's license. Garland Williams, director of Charlottesville Area Transit, said city schools are also looking at this approach. Um, they are looking at the Type A bus uh, model themselves, 14 or less. Um, I think they're endeavoring to do two at this point in time um, and then see how the model works and then potentially scale up from there. The university transit system also has issues with the driver shortage. Kendall Howell is with UTS. Um, one of the approaches we're taking a look at is the, the that CDL license 
barrier and and how can we how can we sort of attack that in creative ways howell said he would return to the partnership with some of those ideas later this summer An organization that provides services and assistance to older community members will receive $65,000 from Santara Martha Jefferson Hospital. According to a press release, the funding for JABA is the result of an employee satisfaction survey, which had a question that asked respondents to name an organization that embodies the company's values. According to John Morris, Vice President of Patient Care and Chief Nurse Executive at Centara Martha Jefferson, JABA got the highest vote totals in the survey. JABA was created in 1975 as the Jefferson Area Board for Aging to serve as a gateway for resources for seniors and adults with disabilities. The $65,000 gift is unrestricted and can be used for any purpose by the organization. If you or someone you know is interested in applying for a grant from Centara, the application window runs from June 15th to July 15th. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and in today's second subscriber-supported public service announcement, the Charlottesville Area Tree Stewards continues to offer classes this spring and summer to increase your awareness of our wooden neighbors and to prepare for the future. Coming up on June 7th is a tree identification course taught on Zoom by tree steward Elizabeth Ferguson, followed by a separate hike on June 11th at the Department of Forestry's headquarters near the Fontaine Research Park. That's followed by a tree identification walk at the University of Virginia on June 12th for the public. On June 14th, Rachel Keene will give a lecture on Zoom on the social life of trees. Do trees really communicate with one another? What is a mother tree? Can a tree do anything to repel a pest? Learn more at charlottesvilleareatreestewards.org. On Wednesday, the Albemarle Board of Supervisors appointed Lonnie Murray to represent the Whitehall District on the Planning Commission. Murray has been elected three times to serve as one of Albemarle's representatives on the Thomas Jefferson Soil and Water Conservation District. He's also a member of the Natural Heritage Committee, and they meet later on today. At their most recent meeting, the Planning Commission minus Murray reviewed a transportation study intended to turn one of Albemarle's major roadways into something with more of a human scale. The county hired Line and Grade to conduct a review of Rio Road from city limits at Melbourne Road up to near the intersection with US-29. David Benish is the development process manager for Albemarle County. The goal of this project was to develop a community vision and plan that will guide the future design and improvements to the Rio Road Corridor. Very simple goal. Banish said the concepts in the plan are not intended to be final, but will be used in the future for candidates for funding through the Virginia Department of Transportation. A list of priorities for the county will be reviewed during the comprehensive plan review that's currently underway. Dan Heyer of Line and Grade lists some of the intentions of the plan, which is split into two geographic phases. How to make it a safe corridor, how to um, improve environmental and public spaces along the corridor, keep traffic moving optimally and effectively, and try to um, make access equitable for all who live and use the corridor. Heyer said to balance all of those goals, 
his team took both a qualitative and quantitative approach to craft a roadway for the county's 21st century needs. At some point in the past, roadways were not just designed for their quantitative aspects, but quality of the experience was also important. And so we devised our own metrics on how to analyze both of these corridors from a qualitative standpoint. What's it like to walk on the sidewalk? Is it hot? Are there trees? Is there crosswalks? Is there lights? Are there, can you see the bus stops? Higher said traffic growth is expected as the area builds out with more housing. New intersection approaches are suggested to avoid the backups that come with the four-way signals of the 20th century. For instance, two traffic signals at the Hillsdale, Old Brook, and Northfield intersections would be replaced with a peanut-shaped roundabout to eliminate left-hand turn movements. The Belvedere intersection would be converted into a continuous green T intersection that would close off left-hand movements from the side roads. Higher said this would not preclude a future traffic signal there. Lion Grade has offered several different alternatives for the roundabout at John Werner Parkway, but he acknowledged VDOT selection will be the one that goes forward. In the second phase, which covers from John Warner Parkway to city limits, the Ryle Road Corridor Study offers fewer specific intersection improvements, but provides guidance such as lowering speed limits and laying out a way forward for creation of a shared-use path. Well, what you have currently is you have a bunch of lane widths that are inconsistent. You've got some that are 14 feet, some that are 10 feet. You've got a bus stop where you don't need one. There's a bunch of infrastructure that can be reallocated to a consistent use, and that's what you see here in a proposed plan. Higher said one difficulty identified in the study was trying to figure out how to find a way to make it safe to walk on Rio Road between Stonehenge Road and the city limits. He said that might need a plan of its own. Very complicated there. The creek is eroding. The It's coming close to eroding the roadbed. It's just an entirely different conversation and not worth trying to build a sidewalk there right now. There's, there's other lower hanging fruit for us to pursue. Commission Chair Karen Firehawk urged the inclusion of bioswales and other innovative ways to build in drainage that supports the ecology. She said the roundabouts might be a good place for that. Because there's going to be a lot of grading going on to put it around about in the first place. And a lot of times in some yeah. lazy places, they are just boring lawns. They've done nothing yeah. with that that space. And it's yeah. an opportunity besides having just more turf grass, which is the number one crop in the Chesapeake Bay drainage. The Board of Supervisors will be briefed on the plan at a later date, possibly in August. Take a look at the presentation in a link in the newsletter. Click on that button. You'll go straight to it. That's the kind of service you get here at Charlottesville Community Engagement. And that's the end for this installment of the program. I am your host, Sean Tubbs, here again to thank every single person who is listening to this or reading this. Obviously, if you're listening to this, you're not the ones who are reading it. Uh, about a tenth of the audience, of course, does listen through the podcast. And today, in addition to reminding you that subscriptions through Substack are matched by the company Ting, which is pretty cool, there is also something you can do for me. Please tell other people about the podcast. The podcast version is the one where you get to hear me, and of course not, I'm not that important, but what I do, the reason I do this is because I want you to hear the voices of the people who make the decisions and who make the observations.
positions. Sometimes that's members of the community. A lot of times on this particular program, it is the elected officials and the appointed ones because I want you to get a sense of, it could be you. You could be up there in the future. Now, don't find that daunting because of course, local government is all about who you have representing you at these meetings. And of course, uh, I do this particular work because I want to make it seem more accessible to more people. There's always a learning curve with this stuff. None of it is simple and none of it is disconnected. It might seem that way, but of course, my attempt with Charlottesville Community Engagement is to try to connect that as much as possible. Thank you again for listening. This is a service of Town Crier Productions. There's plenty more where that came from. Go visit infoseville.com to learn more and to look at the entire archive of everything from the past two years and beyond. I'm Sean Tubbs, the host of this program. Thanks so much. Stay cool out there and stay attuned to everything going on. Goodbye. Goodbye.